0: Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors LLC.
1: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com/businessgoldcard.
0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Joe Wisenthal,
2: And I'm Tracy Alloway.
0: Uh, Tracy, I have a uh, an apology I think I have to make, too.
2: Ooh. Oh, this is exciting. <laughs> okay, go on.
0: Well, you know how, like... I sometimes accuse you of being um, secretly a gold bug and (laughs) stuff like that. And sometimes I like troll you nicely about your dad being a gold bug and stuff like that and being super into hoarding physical gold and jewels and gems and stuff like that.
2: I'm not sure it's trolling if it's true. In the case of my dad, he definitely is a gold bug. Uh, But what what, what exactly are you apologizing for?
0: No, I've also accused you of, like, secretly being that, even if you won't admit it.
2: <laughs> I'm like really not. Look, I'm not a gold bug, but I'm not going to turn down when people give me gold as a present.
0: Okay. Okay, that's fair enough. But I've you're sort of, I don't know. Okay, I'll move on. But I've always sort of <laughs> suspected you have those leanings. Wow. Anyway, the reason I have to apologize is because I'm coming around to that view myself, and I myself... I have I've am kind of becoming a uh, closet or maybe out of the closet gold bug myself.
2: Isn't this like the third time you've changed your opinion on gold?
0: I always go back and forth, but this time uh, it's actually specifically because of the guest that we were that we are going to talk to on today's episode. Uh, I recently started uh, watching his videos on Instagram, and he is such a compelling salesman for gold and jewelry and gems that I'm kind of changing my mind on the whole thing, and I want to start getting into uh, hoarding gold.
2: Well, <laughs> well, look, uh, the the field of people selling gold is kind of a crowded one, uh, so I'm really curious what the sales pitch is exactly here. It it must be a good one if it's uh, if it's changed your mind again.
0: Well, you know, like for like the last ten years since you and I have been in, you know, covering finance, most of the people advocating gold are like these sort of angry, old fashioned types like Peter Schiff, and they like spend all their time railing against the Fed. And honestly, like it's kind of a uh, tiresome. But I've been, my eyes have uh, opened up uh, to a different case for it that I find to be far more compelling.
2: What's the case?
0: Well, let's uh, before we get to that, exactly, let's just backtrack a little bit. Um, I know you're in Hong Kong, but did you uh, see the movie Uncut Gems? I
2: did. It was really, really good. Like, pretty stressful at times, given yeah. it's about this New York jeweler whose life is basically spinning out of control um, due to a gambling addiction. But it's really good.
0: It's really good. It's really stressful. I would say it's probably the f- my favorite movie that I saw. Uh, in the last year or two. I loved it. I want to see it again. Uh, But anyway, on today's uh, episode, we are actually going to be speaking with a a, uh, person who played a role. He was an actor in the movie, and he is a real life jeweler.
2: So I know who you're talking about. It was the behind the counter sort of jeweler or assistant uh, in the main character's shop, jewelry shop.
0: Right, exactly. So for those who don't know, who haven't seen it, A, you should see the movie, but Adam Sandler's character plays a jeweler in New York's uh, Diamond District, and one of his employees, uh, the character Yussi, is actually a real-life jeweler who's been in the game for a long time, and he's here now, and uh, we're going to uh, talk to him about what the business is really like, what the movie got right and wrong, and why people love jewelry and gold so much.
2: That sounds
0: great. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. So without further ado, I wanna bring in Maksud Agajani. He's the CEO and founder of Tracks NYC. He played the character Yussi in the movie. He's a jeweler. He uh sells jewelry to rappers and others, much like uh the uh Sandler character in the movie. Maksud, thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you for having me very much. Thank you.
0: How did you Uh, get into. How did this happen that you got a character uh, in this movie and that you're an actual jeweler who is in uh, Uncut Gems?
3: Well, listen, they had this uh, complicated scene in the showroom uh, in Uncut Gems, and they needed to make it look like an uh, authentic place with uh, somebody who looks like a jeweler. And there's not that many people in Hollywood, apparently, that can fill that role. So they started looking for uh, New York City jewelers on Google, I guess. I popped out They auditioned me, and I got the part, and I did the scene for him.
2: So how did you get into jewelry in the first place then? Maybe we should uh, back up. Like, How did this become your career choice?
3: How did I become an authentic New York City jeweler that they could Google and find? Yeah. (laughs) Well, in 2004, um, when I graduated high school, um, I just needed to start making money, and I saw that there was a market that was opening up on the Internet on ebay so i started photographing jewelry from a jewelry store i found on canal street uh, downtown here in manhattan and putting it up on ebay and when i would sell a piece of jewelry i would go and buy that piece of jewelry and chip it and keep the difference and uh, that wasn't a particularly easy thing to do it's easier to say now than it was to do back then but i uh, you know uh, crowbarred my way into the industry and here i am i didn't know i was going to be here 15 years later but i'm here
0: and now, like, you're a legitimate star. I mean, beyond the uh, appearing in the movie and all this attention, you uh, and your jewelry, your, jewel- your shop, you sell to stars, you sell to rappers. Your website's amazing. It has all kinds of, not sort of traditional jewelry, like chains, but, um, you know, interesting, like diamond-encrusted, you know, f- whatever they are. That's right.
3: Cartoon characters yeah. and pieces and Jesus heads and all sorts of stuff that, whatever the market demands, I try to supply.
0: How did you get into that aspect? So how did you go from essentially flipping cheap jewelry that you found on Canal Street on eBay into creating your own pieces and finding a high-end market?
3: For them? If you want to increase your profit margin, you're going to have to learn how to manufacture rather than buying from wholesalers. So little by little, I learned how to manufacture, cast the gold, set the diamonds, get the diamonds from the diamond dealer for the right price. And, uh, you know, and make a couple of honest dollars, as they say.
2: So I have so many questions that I want to ask you, but I want to get to the buy case for gold or for gold jewelry, because like I certainly have never thought of buying a gold chain as necessarily an investment. But certainly on your videos and on your website, you talk a lot about the investment case for gold. Why did you decide to take that approach?
3: I'll tell you exactly why. Well, right now I'm wearing a chain that I bought in 2007 that was around, when gold was around $700 an ounce or so. Okay, right now it's about uh, close to $1,600 an ounce. Okay, so if I scrap that chain, uh, the the very same chain I'm wearing now, I'm going to get more than what I paid for it back then by a significant degree, almost double. And, you know, for wearing a chain, that's pretty it's pretty good, uh, a return on investment, you know, so it, it, you just can't lose by buying that type of product. And when I, I convince my customers or I explain to my customers that if you're going to buy something, a luxury item, you know, there's a lot of options out there. You could buy a Gucci belt, you could buy this, you could buy high end fashion, high end brands, not a single one of those is going to give you a return on investment in 10 years. So it's really a no brainer.
0: Gold could go down over the next ten years, and it has at times.
3: Uh, it sure, it certainly has, and everything could go down. But uh, from the experiences and from uh, from everything I've seen, I don't think it's gonna go down under a thousand dollars an ounce. in 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 my lifetime, I don't I don't think it's gonna happen.
0: So one thing in your videos which I was really drawn by is you do seem to combine both the sort of luxury goods pitch. And you also talk about the fundamentals of gold. The first video I saw, I think, was you had a chart of gold and you were looking at it right around the time that there was the strike that took out uh, Soleimani. That's right. In Iran and pitching jewelry as an investment around world events. Talk about what drives them. Is that a unique thing that you came up with? Like are other people in the uh, Diamond District in your business making uh, making the pitch that way. No,
3: they're not making the pitch that way. And it's unique. And if you want to make any money or stand out in any way and you don't have anything unique, it's never going to happen. You're going to have to come up, especially in the social media podcast world that we're in now, you're going to have to come up with some information that people find useful. All right. So it, essentially what I, I try to do is I've tried to put on a show and the commercial break is my own merchandise. That's just pretty much what it is. Other people sell T-shirts with their podcast. I sell jewelry and Kind of sell a podcast with the jewelry, but the jewelry is sold on the podcast. Whatever works at this point.
2: We should sell T-shirts, Joe.
0: Yeah, or we should sell jewelry. Or jewelry.
2: <laughs> no. Yeah. So Maxud, one thing I wanted to ask is, and this might be difficult to answer, but what percentage of your customers would you say are are drawn to the investment thesis uh, that you're sort of, or the investment pitch that you're putting out there versus people who just want to buy nice jewelry?
3: Well, you know, to be quite honest, I'm awakening them to that concept because they never uh, considered it as investment pieces, but... Some of the people in hard times, they get a, they get their money back on some pieces that they buy, and it's common knowledge that you're going to get back more on a gold chain than on a diamond chain in, in certain circumstances. And they were always curious about that information, uh, the people that had life experience, right? The young kids that just want to get iced out and throw away all their money, they might not really care about that, but people are already in their 30s or in their 40s, and they've been buying jewelry for a long time, they want to get what they pay for, and they're looking for that information. Information And nobody was filling that void. So I, I, I filled it in. And uh, al- along with those people that uh, were looking for that information, I'm awakening a lot of other people to the fact that, uh, you know, um, there's a price and then there's value. And, uh, you know, that that's a new concept for them.
0: So you talked about how you started essentially moving up the food chain, so to speak, by... Uh contacting and getting relationships with diamond wholesalers and making your own jewelry. And one of the things that struck me in the movie Uncut Gems was uh, the main character, Hard Ratner, Adam Sandler's character, he was always doing these deals with other people and they're all word of mouth, including things like briefly pawning a Super Bowl ring for the week so he could get some cash, so he could make another deal. And the person who gave him the cash would quote him a price or quote him in interest rates, And it was all just sort of word of mouth trust. Is that an accurate characterization of the industry in which everyone is just sort of trust each other at their word? And that's the key thing?
3: Yeah, they definitely it's it, it, it's very accurate that the way they depicted him wheeling and dealing and I've been in those types of situations myself. All right, um, uh, as much as one wouldn't like to admit it, I, I would. Sometimes you have to to close one deal. You have to have some value in some dead stock. You have to put it, pawn it for a week, go get the other watch, ice it out, go get it to the customer, then get the money, go bring it back, and, and so on and so forth, and, and hope you don't trip up along the way. And uh, once you develop a reputation, listen, if you have, you know, um, Uh, a bunch of gold chains, $30,000, and I have a client for it. I'm going to come by and you have to decide whether I'm going to go and uh, grab that inventory and go to the airport and fly away and never see you again, or going to go and sell it to that client that I have while you have the inventory that you want to move. And you have to wheel and deal and you have to work with people who you trust And that is just uh, not much evolution on that behavior since maybe ancient Babylon. You don't really know who you're trusting. You you just get to know uh, these people and um, you get a feel for their personalities. And, uh, you know, the little by little uh, business experience will will, will guide you.
2: Hmm. So Joe mentioned the the pawning of the Super Bowl ring in the movie. And you just mentioned the idea of, of maybe sort of selling on something before you've received the money or sort of like adding leverage to your deals. And there does seem to be an ecosystem of finance and and lending and credit built around the jewelry business. Why do you think that is? Like, why are pawn shops and gold and jewelry intertwined to that degree?
3: Well, I mean, the the materials are... uh, Expensive, right? So when you're walking through uh, the Diamond District, you're going to have people hounding you from the street that are saying, come into this shop, come into that shop because you might be a high value person. It's worthwhile going through all this trouble and following a person down the street um, and bothering them maybe to get them into your shop. Right, You might not do that in front of uh, the supermarket or something like that, but you'll do that in the Diamond District because that person might end up buying something that's $50,000 and then the store owner is going to give you a commission of $500 and so on and so forth. So just the values of uh, the items that you're dealing with create a whole new ecosystem. And things move quickly, so you're not going to be able to do a lot of paperwork and things like that. So there's just a whole different environment that you can learn from, especially the way economics uh, move that you're not going to find in other industries like banking or something like that. And then, you know, people overexert themselves, right? People make mistakes. That's why economies fail uh, for the most part. And... And it, it happens on a on a state level and it happens on an individual level. Uh, people buy something they can't afford and they think that and they have hard times and they have to pawn it and they think they're going to come back in a month and they don't, right? <laughs> and, they, they, and, and, and on and on it goes. And it happens with jewelry customers and jewelry business owners as well, right? There's people that have been essentially printing money and doing great in the 90s. And in the early 2000s that are now pawning their inventory or people that were holding out when the gold price was at, at its peak and were uh, raising their prices, changing their tags, and now that are desperate to, to scrap those pieces. And, you know, just people make mistakes. They make miscalculations. And with the, the products like gold, which has its own dynamics, diamonds, which have a completely different dynamic, and some of them are combined, you know, it just gets crazy. So
0: one of the products for sale in the movie that's sort of very memorable is uh, Adam Sandler's character. He has like a diamond encrusted Furby. That's right. And Tracy really wants one. Do you have any of those in stock? Right well, now?
3: They, they those were made out of brass. Um, in the in the film, they didn't actually make them out of gold and diamonds. So they might turn her neck green if she's gonna wear it too long.
0: From an investment sta- from an investment standpoint. You on your website, you sell like some that are just like basic chains and then some, as you said, like diamond encrusted cartoon characters. Are those riskier? The sort of more custom ones? Because, you know, it's fad. Like maybe like right now, people are probably asking for like diamond encrusted baby Yodas and stuff. Something like but, that. But like in two years, people might forget about that. So from like an investment standpoint. Are those custom pieces a little riskier? For sure,
3: for sure. I mean, for a c- consumer standpoint, uh, yeah, it's definitely a luxury item. Yeah. Okay. Um, and from uh, my standpoint as a manufacturer, well, uh, the way it usually works is let's say you make 100 pieces and you want to get your money back by the time you sold 50 of them. Hmm. All right. And the rest of them, if they uh, all right, you got your money back by number 50 and the rest of them is your profit. Now, if you sell out of those 50, 20, you made a profit and the rest you scrap and you get back your materials if you're stuck with them over uh, a period of time. And that could be dicey, especially in this economy, uh, you know, that uh, that people don't have that type of spending power to consume these types of goods. So a lot of jewelers are getting stuck with this type of inventory. And it's really a tough business now, more so than it ever was.
2: Can you give us an example of you getting stuck with a particular inventory, like one that was memorable for you?
3: one that was memorable for well my my safe is is filled with uh, with stuff that, that I'm stuck with so to speak um, but I've been pretty good and not getting stuck with too many pieces so the, the pieces that you're stuck with are the ones that are the least desirable the most desirable things that you manufacture are going to be the first to go and the least desirable are going to be stuck with so the stuff that that I'm stuck with is the stuff that, that doesn't really uh, attract anybody just rings that you know are off-putting and and things like that but the good pieces uh, you know I would make uh, characters out of video games, Street Fighter, or you'd make a a genie coming out of Aladdin's lamp. But those are all gone and people enjoyed them and, and, and I don't have them anymore. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Principal Asset Management SM is a trade name of Principal Global Investors, LLC.
0: So if I came in tomorrow and I said, you know, I I want to get a gift for Tracy. I want to get her that uh, diamond-encrusted Furby what yes, would you do require it. what would be the process i will maybe what would be the process what would you expect of me do i have to like put money down like what is, how would
3: how's the process i'll explain exactly what the process is so if you want to custom manufacture anything you're going to have to put a deposit right down to so we could start making the model of what it's going to look like on a computer in 3d once that's done all right so you put a thousand dollars down let's say you have a ten thousand dollar budget on whatever you're manufacturing whether it's a, it could be a custom engagement ring or a Furby piece or a Zodiac, whatever. So you put a thousand bucks down, we show you what it's going to look like, we do all the calculations, how much it's going to weigh, how many carrots it's going to be, and then you have to put a production deposit down, which is going to be around another five thousand, four thousand. And then we finish it, you see it, and you finish paying for it, you wear it. Tracy's happy, you're happy, I'm happy bloomberg's happy
2: <laughs> i'm not sure bloomberg's if, if all happy. of us if,
0: if i'll see what happens if i try to expense that but if all of us are going to be happy i think we have to do it Tracy, i think right?
3: so okay. make it gold heavy and you'll be good i
2: will be the happiest of all so yes we should do okay. this um So you mentioned 3D printing just then, and uh, in watching some of your videos, that definitely comes up a lot. How important was 3D printing, or how much of a revolution was it for the jewelry making industry? Like, How did people make these custom pendants, whether it's Furbies or Baby Yodas or Jesus heads or whatever, how did they do that before, and did it become more popular once 3D printing came into being?
3: Well, um, they were doing it by hand. So they take a piece of wax and carve it out by hand. And the waxes that they would make were far more primitive than what you could make on a computer now. And, you know, the complicated things like back, uh, you know, however, a hundred years ago or so, uh, like a Fabergé egg, that was stuff that was done by hand and that was extremely difficult to do. You'd have to get an incredible craftsman to do that. Now you could make that type of stuff to even higher quality and, and, and higher detail on a computer. So you know it's 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 a world away and what you could manufacture, the jewelers have really not tapped into it just yet to the, to the capacity that, it, that that it could be because your capabilities are limited by your imagination with this machine that prints out whatever it is you came up with.
0: So yeah, I definitely recommend people should check out your Instagram and check out the 3D printing videos because they're really cool. Are you rare like if you were to go to other shops, In the uh, Diamond District, is that still something that most of them haven't gotten into?
3: They don't have. Well, you have to manufacture uh, to a high degree to own a 3D printer. The 3D printer I just bought, and I just bought it uh, a couple of months ago, was about $60,000. Okay, And we did some research, and we, we got a pretty good one, and so on and so forth. You got to learn how to use it, first and foremost. It's not like the printer you have at home. There's some maintenance there, and the materials you got to buy. And so So I had a, a girl that knew, knew how to do it, so we were able to make that leap. And that's pretty f- forward-thinking. The average jeweler is not going to have that. The manufacturer might have it, but it's still new technology, so, you know... Uh, grandpa's not going to be able to tune into it that quickly. And I'm a a little bit, I guess, uh, as far as jewelers are concerned, on the younger side. So I'm trying to uh, use any advantage I could get. And that's definitely a big one. Mm.
2: This feeds into something else that I always wondered about. But if I buy a piece of jewelry, what percentage of it on average, I guess, is going to be the actual labor cost versus the input cost of the materials like gold and, and diamonds?
3: Well, that depends who you're buying it from, all right? If you're buying it um, from Tiffany & Co., let's say, for example, uh, uh, silver is about $2 a gram. So don't do much more math than that when you're going in there. I I don't want to, you know, disparage the entire industry, but uh, when you're going to buy a shirt or when you're going to buy something, if you think about the, the, the cost of the material versus what you're paying for it, it's not fair to apply that to the jewelry business too much, and I'm and the only one to blame for that because I started uh, making that application for people, you know, what the value is. But there's a, there's a significant difference, and especially for the most part, you're paying for branding, okay? You're going to Cartier, and you're buying a gold bracelet and diamond bracelet, but you're paying more for the name Cartier. You're paying more for the name Tiffany & Co. That's why there is a diamond district here because once people realize, okay, I bought this one carat, a uh, platinum ring for Tiffany for twenty thousand, but the materials to manufacture that ring cost seven thousand or eight thousand dollars. So in the diamond district, and the, the materials are really four thousand. I mean you. You you do the math, and it creates a demand for the Diamond District uh, for these bigger brands. And But, you know, then you also increase your risk when you're making that type of purchase. Tiffany & Co. is going to get you exactly what you pay for. You want to save $10,000, you might, or you might get, uh, you know, uh, some sort of a disappointment or this or that. And there you are. So Welcome to reality.
0: Other than, say, buying from you, because I'm sure you'd recommend yourself as the most reputable and honest sure. uh, jewelry dealer, for, for just sort of an average person, what would be some things like sort of like buying tips that they should know so that they don't get uh, hoodwinked when they're buying a piece of jewelry somewhere in the diamond
3: district? Sure. Well, listen, you want to read the reviews, okay? So we're celebrity shop, but it doesn't matter what I say because the average person does what celebrities do. Okay, they're not sitting here uh, using information to to make complicated decisions and things like that. That's what I've realized, okay? And that's why I have such a hard time, you know, uh, marketing the business to a certain extent because. The average person doesn't care about information or value or anything like that. They're all celebrities are buying here. I'm buying here too. I'm a celebrity now. That's the way they're thinking. That's the end of it. But for the person that is uh, interested in that, you just got to do your research, read your reviews, look up the price. Google is an extraordinary tool. You know, you can figure out the, the distance from here to Mars or or anything you could imagine. So if you really want to research the the price of something, you just put price of one carat or price of this and price of that and do simple math like I did when I was 21 years old, you know, or whatever it is, to figure out how to get the ball rolling. And that's just a general rule for anything.
2: Maxud, you mentioned that the dynamics are different for gold versus diamonds and uh, the movie Uncut Gems, I I don't think I'm giving anything away, but it revolves around this massive black opal um, that's uncut. Can you explain like the differences in how those different markets actually work? Like what is the difference between how gold functions versus how an uncut gem or a diamond functions?
3: Sure. Well, first and foremost, it doesn't matter if you're buying a gram of gold or 10 kilograms of gold. It's the same price per gram, all right? So the price doesn't diminish with how much you buy. But with diamonds, that greatly affects it, right? If you're buying a 1,000 carats of diamonds or one carat, you're paying two completely different prices per carat. And that is because... Liquidating uh, gold, which is gonna, uh, you know, uh, the bank will buy it or something like that. You know, uh, governments buy it, or so, and and has that type of demand where they'll they'll trade it for cash and at, at a moment's notice. Uh, diamonds don't have that. You have to find a consumer to sell your diamonds, and that is a difficult process. Okay, there is a demand for diamonds. Uh, um, uh, everybody wants diamonds. No one's gonna be um, object to having diamonds. If I started giving out diamonds in your office, I don't think I'd get two people to say no, no, thank you. But uh, the, the reality is how much are they willing to pay for them, okay? So if I'm going through the job of advertising a business and finding the consumers, and I'm going to be able to buy a 1,000 carrots a month or something like that. Like right now, I buy about 500 carrots a month or something around there. You know, I should definitely get a way better price than the uh, the person buying one carrot because I'm allocating all of these consumers, and I'm putting together all these marketing plans and investing all these marketing dollars to be able to move those goods. So you go to the word uncut and uncut gems. So the way the l- let us just put that on, on pause for a second and— I'll, I'll, I'll give you an insight into how these uh, materials travel. You dig them up from wherever they're at. Then comes the, the, the process of cutting them and polishing them. All right. So most of that happens in India. The labor is cheap and the stones get there. Uh, they get over there. So half of the game is buying the rough and then having it polished and having the polishers. And there's only there's some big players doing that stuff. Okay, whether that's coming for um, in Israel or Belgium for the bigger, bigger stones, and for the smaller stones is going to be happening in India. So once you've bought the rough for cheap from the miners, whatever is going on there, I'm not sure because I'm not in that part of the business. And then you get it polished with your big polishing production, wherever that's at. Now you're bringing it to the Diamond District to go get it to the end consumer. And that's where I come in because I'm getting it to the end consumer. So if you're going to give me, if I'm going to sit here and liquidate all these uh, these materials into cash, I'm going to make sure that I get it for way cheaper than what I sell it for. Otherwise, I'm not going to do it. So that is... um, that is uh, just uh, the game of it, all right? Uh, there's the, the miners, uh, they're playing their game, the, the, the polishers, and then the polishers bring it to the uh, wholesalers and bring it to the retailers. And, you know, that's that's pretty sure how it moves.
0: At some point, you say you don't. You're not at the spot where you interact with the miners. Could that be on your roadmap at some point as you seek to expand and get bigger and go right, right to the source?
3: Every single jeweler that's ever uh, found success, if you want to increase your profit margin, and you cannot increase your prices because you're gonna, uh, other people are gonna cut into your, right. uh, into your market share. So you have to uh, lower the cost of your product. Okay. Now, what's the cheapest way of uh, lowering the cost of your product? Well, you could mine the, the goods yourself. Now, obviously, you don't have the time to mine the goods yourself. Well, then you have to get somebody else to do it for you, and then the game goes, right? And you, where are you going to get uh, somebody to do that? Well, you could either just buy it from the miners directly and then get it polished yourself, which is the bigger players, that's how they do it, and then your margins increase when, you, when you're when you doing things like that. So the people that uh, were able to, over years, uh, you know, build a dynasty over there and buy some of the buildings on 47th Street between 5th and 6th Avenue were ones that got directly from the miners, got the, the you know, uh, the polishers had a and, and the cutters had a uh, very um, a close relationship with them and got the product from the ground level and were able to sell it at the retail. That's the only way to, to really go in, in that type of industry.
2: They controlled the whole supply chain. You have to. So you mentioned... Well, when we were talking about diamonds, you said... Everyone loves diamonds and, you know, if you were handing them out for free, no one would say no. But one thing that we hear a lot nowadays is that uh, millennials or younger people actually aren't buying diamonds as much as they used to, uh, maybe because they're out of fashion in some ways, or maybe because there's concern about where the diamonds come from, like whether or not they're blood diamonds. And maybe also there's concern about artificial diamonds uh, sort of contaminating the supply do people still want diamonds? And do any of those trends like lab-grown diamonds actually impact your business?
3: Yeah, everything impacted uh, from, from everything you mentioned. Well, uh, you know, certain millennials are off-put by diamonds nowadays because they ha- they have a whole different uh, mentality. And number one, they really don't have the money to buy any diamonds, all right? That's just a reality uh, as well. They don't have any of that extra income that they're going to sit here and-, and start getting diamonds for their girlfriend on Valentine's Day and things like that. They're lucky if they could take him out to a, uh, to a normal restaurant. And on the other hand, well, that's on one half of it. The other half, the demand is increasing for more of a hip-hop style jewelry as hip-hop is expanding around the world. And it's really a force that people are underestimating because it's capturing the youth in ways that uh, it's, it's never been captured before. More and more, right? So whether you're in Europe or now in Asia and you're, and you're 15 and 16 and you're listening to these rappers... Uh, little Pump or Takashi or what have you, and they're spending $250,000 on a piece of jewelry, all right? They're not sitting there and listening to, they're not finishing their social studies homework and things like that, all right? Now, for you guys over here, you're not in that mentality, but they're young and they're impressionable, and they're not being influenced uh, you know, by fiscal policy, you know they're they're being influenced by someone who took two hundred fifty thousand dollars and bought a necklace, and they want to participate in that, and they they participated, so that that market share is probably going to grow, and uh, and the one that's going to decrease is probably going to be these uh, these millennials that uh, are, they might uh, just switch to what they're buying. They might buy a little sapphire in a silver ring or something like that, or something on the cheaper end. Uh, there's still a profit margin there, so to speak. The the market is going to shift around that. And then when it comes to lab made and and grown diamonds, well, you know, diamonds have a destiny, right? The reality of diamonds is they're a carbon crystal. And that carbon crystal would be, uh, it has amazing acoustic properties, okay? And it also has Uh, You know, it would be great for a a window on a spaceship or something like that. Or or you could put it. You could, if you could make an engine out of diamonds instead of out of steel, it'd probably last to you know a couple of million miles or maybe indefinitely. So it has a a, um, a destiny that's not just for you know, aesthetic appeal or, or or something like that. So it's and It's going to end up there. I don't know how long it's going to be, but I think that diamonds are going to be manufactured more and more, and then once it has some industrial purpose, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's going to be interesting.
0: Well, I, this gets to something that I really wanted to ask you, and I think it's sort of one of the big things that's been on my mind since watching the movie, which is just sort of the obsession with diamonds and gems. And the movie opens up with one of the miners uh, in Africa, getting injured. We see the extreme lengths that the people in the Diamond District go to like get their hands on uh, gems. We see the impact that the gem in the movie had on Kevin Garnett, the basketball player, inspiring him uh, in the movie to uh, win the NBA Finals and so forth. Just in your view, sort of like from a big picture standpoint, what is it about diamonds? What is it about gems? What is it even about gold that just sort of like hits people at this fundamental level that they just go crazy
3: to dig up rocks sure. from the earth? Well, that's a good question. Um, gold is called the most beautiful element. Okay. So there's, I don't remember how many elements there are. I think like a hundred or something like that um, around there. And out of all of them, the most beautiful is gold. Okay, it has incredible reflective properties. It reflects light. Uh, it looks like sunshine when regular light hits it. Reflects it. It's quite beautiful. That's all it needs, right? It's a, to some people in this world, beauty is all they all they need to get by, and that's what that's what these gems have. And they attract attention, right? Um, if there was a bar of gold in a room and somebody walked in it, their eyes are immediately on it. And if you, and if you have that substance, the, those eyes are going to kind of transfer on you. You kind of share those properties, hmm. all right, on, on, on a subconscious level with them. You have it. Why, don't, why doesn't everybody have gold, right? I, I just did a calculation the other day. If we were going to distribute all the gold that's ever been mined evenly, everybody would get around 11 grams, uh, per person, OK, of gold. Right. If we were all equal, but we're not all equal. Some people have massive amounts. Some people have nothing at all. And who has the massive amounts? Who's who and what's what? All that just plays into into that. And, and, and that just is an advertisement for for people. That they have this beautiful stuff, and and the other and the other hand, uh, it is beautiful because I have a couple of sapphires, um, I own right that I did. I'm saving or I'm using for something interesting. And when you look into some of these sapphires, maybe it's in my head, but it's such a deep, beautiful blue, right? And it's and some of the ones I have are very rare. Uh, as opposed to some of the really dark ones that don't have that luster, and you find that perfect pitch of of color and cut and clarity, and it and it becomes something so rare that you really just enjoy just looking at it. Uh, you know, I don't know.
2: Is that your favorite gem, sapphires?
3: I love sapphires. It's it's been it's my birthstone, so. You know, uh, when I... That's September, right? Yeah, September. That's me too. Yeah. Uh, uh, when Maybe I, I need to get a sapphire. So piece. just, uh, you know, when I when I first saw the sapphire and I was told it was my birthstone, again, just the psychological impact of that. When I was young, you know, I was just intrigued. But, okay, it's my birthstone. Can I have one? No, you don't have any money, all right? Um, uh, or here's this little one or here's just this tiny one. But where's the bigger ones? Mom or this one, that one? And, and, and you have that feeling that this is something you want but can't have why not well there's not enough of them for everybody you have to be special to have one and there's just it's just a a part of that the human experience that's not really going anywhere
0: tracy if i get you a uh gentleman crusted furby will you get me a uh, sapphire for my birthday
2: that sounds like a really good trade, actually, because I'm pretty sure the Furby is going to cost like twenty thousand dollars. So yes, yes, you can have a <laughs> <Okay>. small
0: dark <laughs> okay,
2: sapphire. I'm, in exchange I'm getting for a lot it.
3: of business here. I'm, ho- <laughs> I'm hoping you guys are going to be buying it from me and no one else.
0: How's your? Uh, I'm curious how your life has it changed in any way since the movie came out.
3: Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, it's definitely a benefit, right? The way I equate it is if I was trying to put myself in a movie for a commercial. I think it would cost me uh, over a million dollars to right. do something like that, right? If I was if I had it came out with a new car line or, or, or a car and I wanted to put it in a new James Bond movie, right? It would you know, and I had uh, you know, BMW and I wanted to put it in there. I think it would be a quite an expensive endeavor. So, for me to be a jeweler in the Diamond District and get a part in a in a in a Diamond District movie, one of the very few that there's been. Uh, um is a blessing essentially so it definitely has benefited me and it just hit international netflix uh so people are messaging me all the time and then when it hits regular netflix people are gonna watch it it might be a cult classic so yeah, i might be, I think it will be. yeah i think you know so i think uh uh it's hey, gonna be a million has everyone in the diamond free. district watch it and have opinions on it? of course yeah and they all like it it's it's pretty good
0: well, uh, Maksud, Agujani, thank you so much. That was fantastic. Thank uh, you. Been w- looking forward to this conversation a long time, and I appreciate <laughs> you coming on. Oh, I have one last very small question. question? If I don't get a uh, diamond-encrusted Furby, like, what, let's say I don't want to spend quite that uh-huh. much. What's just sort of like a nice like, basic thing to get someone?
3: Um, well, you know, that's a good question. Um, s- some gold jewelry is cool, and... Something with gems in it, something with diamonds, but it's it, it's something personalized. I think would be would be uh, what has the the best effect on people? When I make a custom engagement ring or a custom pair of earrings, with birthstone surrounded by diamonds or something, uh, um, custom made with your involvement and the jeweler's involvement, and it has a special output for the person that receives it. All right, I'll be I'll be by the shop soon. All right, sounds good, brother. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate you.
2: Joe, just in case you were wondering, in addition to a diamond encrusted Furby, I would also take a gold plated outline of the Vix Curve. You can have that made.
0: Ooh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I have to think about what I want customized from you, but I'll definitely uh, I'll get you one of those two things for sure. Excellent, maybe. excellent. So I think I am a, I'm a legit a, uh, I'm a gold bug now. I'm totally sold, and I totally get it. You know what I really liked, in fact, um, among other things. I thought uh, Maksud's point about how little gold uh, everyone would get if we had to distribute it evenly, because on some level, okay, yes, uh, life isn't fair, but it is the ultimate sort of emblem of like, yeah, there is there are aspects of the world that are a zero-sum game, and if you have more gold, then that means someone else has less of it, and just sort of like that sort of drive, like something about that really resonates to me as I can see why people not only want to acquire it, but show off that they have it.
1: I think
2: you're becoming an economic nationalist. But there's one thing that we didn't discuss, which is, okay. so obviously gold is a status symbol. It signifies power and it signifies wealth. But in the movie, in Uncut Gems, gold and all this jewelry and the black opal that we spoke about actually becomes a problem for the guy, right? It's, it's a source of instability right. in his life and insecurity. And I, I wonder, you know, if you do put all your money into gold, then obviously you have a storage issue, uh, you're going to have to put it someplace yeah. sa- safe. Uh, you might worry about wearing all your jewelry out on the street. I don't know. But it seems like it can be a source of insecurity as well as a display of power.
0: Yeah, I thought about that too, like a source of insecurity, a source of stress, like just having to put everything in a safe every night, thinking about ensuring that, or you go by these jewelry, jewelers when you walk across them at night, and of course, they've emptied out their shop windows, so there's nothing even visible. Mm. Like that whole process of having to protect, protect it and you know, to some extent protect yourself, uh, it definitely seems like, yes, it's a source of power. It also seems like it'd be a uh, major source of anxiety.
2: That said, I still want the Diamond Furby. All right. I would still take it. Okay, I would guard it. Okay. I would wear it every it. day and take such good care of it. <laughs>
0: All right. I'll see what I can do. I'll okay. see if I can expense it.
2: <laughs> All right. This has been another episode of the Odd Lots podcast. I'm Tracy Alloway. You can follow me on Twitter at Tracy Alloway.
0: And I'm Jill Weisenthal. You can follow me on Twitter at TheStalwart. And you should definitely follow our guests on Instagram. It's, uh, it's really amazing to watch. He's tracks NYC. His name is Maksud Agajani. Awesome Instagram account. I swear he's uh, turned me into a gold bug, and I'm going to go to his shop uh, soon. And you can see him talk about all these things and show the uh, manufacturing process. It's uh, very cool. Uh, Also, you should follow our producer on Twitter. She's Laura Carlson. She's at Laura M. Carlson. You should follow the Bloomberg head of podcasts, Francesca Levy, at Francesca Today. And check out all of our podcasts under the handle at podcasts. Thanks for listening.